Hello cats, welcome to another episode of Longkang Kitties. This time around, we're doing an intro separate from the main episode because I want to let you guys know about podcast potluck. Generally, is that once a month, the podcasters of Singapore will meet up and have a couple of drinks, you know, shoot the shit and all that. This time around, the third installment of this uh, gathering, we're doing something a little bit different. We're actually inviting you, the fans, yes. You can come now, meet your favorite podcasters, meet all the other podcasters, and just have some fun. The event itself is happening on the 10th of November at 34 Cassia Crescent from 6.30 to 10.30pm. The place is relatively near to the old airport road food center. It's just a short walk from there. For those of you who are interested in attending, please click on the link, the PTIX link below and just register your interest. It would be good if we have a rough gauge of the numbers. Uh, special thanks to Ling Ling, our guest for this episode, you'll hear her later, and Raven for creating the PTIX page. And also special thanks to Danny from the Economical Rice Podcast for organizing this. We hope to see you there. Do show up in numbers so that we can brag to the other podcasters that we have the real fans. And we hope that you enjoy this episode. See ya! Welcome, welcome, welcome everyone to the Long Gang Kitties! <laughs> Alright. Are you on some drugs or something, John? No, we are, I'm not on drugs. I'm perfectly sober and shit. I haven't had alcohol, except for the pale ale that Dan just gave me. It's but, flat, I'm sorry. But anyway, so over here today, we got myself, John Wang. We have Angie, say hello. Hi. I ran out of rhymes to make fun of you with, but I'll, Fuck off. I'll look for new ones next week, or the week after. And then we have returning, after a long hiatus, back from the dead, Jerry, the old guy. <gasps> I'm back. And then we, as usual, we have a good citizen, Dan Wong. The burp is not coming out. You took too long. You're so constipated, yeah, Dan. I was holding it in, waiting for the burp, but you introduced Jerry first, not me. Uh, so can't. it's my fault, lah. My fault, lah. Now the burp is in my tummy. If you can't burp on demand, then don't blame it's me. It's like the... Alright, guys, shut the fuck up. <laughs> and then, on, for this very special episode, we have a guest with us today, Ling Ling. Hi, Ling Ling. Hi. Thank you again for inviding me. My no name problem. is Ling Ling. I am a training consultant, so my speciality is leadership development as well as intercultural competence. So thank you very much for, for inviting me. Yeah. For this week, we are talking about Theranos and the obsession with female leadership, especially in tech in Silicon Valley. Actually, uh, when you brought up the topic of Theranos, right, I didn't expect it to turn into a female... I didn't expect gender to play into this, John, because to me, it straight up seems like a classic case of fraud. So how, how did this come about? Can you, can you give me greater insight? Theranos okay, is a company that was founded in... 2003. 2003, sorry. 2003. Back when, when the owner, Elizabeth Holmes, was ni- just 19 years old. She promised the world, right, she could create a product that is a very low-cost blood test that can test for basically everything. From what I read up, it's like uh, it's quite important, right? Because I mean, for for us in in, in this country like Singapore, we, it doesn't really mean much to us. But in co- countries that are developing, uh, where they really need low cost solutions to do the same thing that normal blood tests can can, right? It's a it's a big thing. So she she promised this product to the world for a very long time, right? They managed to they raise a lot of money from very very influential and wealthy people. Can you tell our audience, agak agak, how much money are we talking about here? I think at the highest, it was valued at $9 billion. From the very beginning also, there was one fella that was trying to investigate Theranos and Elizabeth Holmes. The guy, his name is John Carriol. The, the way that John Carriol described the whole situation, 
Nobody actually knew whether the product worked or not. But that seems to be beside the point. Everybody was so enamored with this idea of, you know, there's this very, very powerful woman in the midst of Silicon Valley building an extremely wealthy and influential company with the help of very influential and wealthy men. You see, like the whole pro- the whole company was just built based on Elizabeth Holmes' charisma. In some cases, right, like witnesses were saying, basically they were enchanted by her, like as if she's some mystical force or whatever. What I think is a big problem, right, like the, the genesis of this fraud can be found when the pendulum swings the other way, when we start focusing, like hyper-focusing too much on let's just get women into power and not let's find effective ways to sort out the talent pool. I want to start off with a very, very pointed question to Ling Ling. Wow, already? Yes. Right. <laughs> right. No, just before you ask your question, right, when you talked about how charming Elizabeth Holmes is and how everyone is enchanted and she's enamored, uh, everyone's enamored by her, I would definitely like the ability to, to do that as well. Yeah, yeah. I, I really have that ability, by the way. Uh, you I don't yeah, think so. In case, yeah, in case everybody... I'm not quite sure you want to learn from him, but... Well, I suppose I can figure out if he gets like $9 billion in you know investment. Clearly okay, not if he's like hanging around <laughs> with the likes of us. <laughs> you swing, never know. I managed right? to swindle Angie out of two bucks. She bought onigiri for me. I'm not going to pay her back. <laughs> That's not swindling. I bought it for you because I took pity on you. Oh. oh. Hey, hey, pity, pity, pity is a good is a, technique yeah, too. Right? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, a, it's a type of charm as well. You know, you feel good after you do charity. It's kind of like my do good thing for the day. Don't, don't think too much about it, John. I'm, I, I assume when you teach leadership, you, you teach it to both men and women, right? Yeah, so what are the, so like, female, yeah. Focused, yeah. So what are the common characteristics of someone who can, um, lead well? We had a conversation earlier and you're saying that, you know, all you need to do to be a leader is to have someone follow you. But I would say that that's like the most basic thing of being a leader, right? right? But how do you lead well and how do you convince people to follow you in a way that they don't feel like, oh, this person is so stupid. I'm following them just cause I have to. Mm-hmm. But yes, I believe in whatever idea that you're selling and uh you know i really uh you know want to help you get to your vision you basically answered your question so for a leader to be good is to have an awesome vision that you want followers to follow and it's also one of the questions that you know many people come to my programs for is to figure out you know what are the important skills in order to become a leader but you basically hit hit the nail on on the button there to be a good leader you have to have a good vision that other people might want to follow. And it and the vision can be anything. So like the Theranos example is the vision of providing this innovative tool to test blood so that, you know, people in developing nations can, you know, improve their medical kind of facilities and skills. It could be a vision of, you know, I want to make the world a better place through podcasting by sharing about, you know, our political views. It can be anything. So a good leader would have the ability to share that vision in such a way that people want to follow and help you. Are there like personality traits like, um, I don't know, charisma or, you know, uh, nominating presence that would kind of help your cause, for example? You would think so. You would think a really good leader has to be charismatic, has to be dominating. But a lot of concepts of leadership is, is, uh, filtered by 
cultural values, your cultural background. So let's, let's think about this, right? In China, you have Xi Jinping as the president. So let's say we play Xi Jinping in USA. Do you think he'll make a good leader? Maybe, maybe not. After Trump, I'm, I, I maybe. <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe not. And, yeah. And Kim Jong-un, he is mm-hmm. the, you know, he runs North Korea, right? But if you put Kim Jong-un in, say, Singapore, do you think he'll make it as a leader? Maybe, maybe not. So a lot of concepts of leadership is, it comes from your cultural background. How is it that the followers can follow the leader? So it's the ability or the interdependent relationship between leaders and followers that makes up the leader. I see. Well, isn't there like some sort of baseline leadership quality that you sort of have to have in order for you to be at least somewhat effective? Communication. Leadership is all about communication. You have a vision, you have to communicate. You want to influence people to do things, you have to communicate. You want to get a good deal from your clients so that your company can survive, you also have to communicate. And when you communicate, it's not one style of communication, but it's the ability to adapt to different situations and to the audience that they communicate to. And not only that, when you communicate, you also communicate based on your branding. When you, uh, as a leader, each of us, each leader will have their own brand and their brand will have to stand behind the vision that they want to sell. Actually, that's a very good answer. And it also explains why I've not been very good at, at leadership in general. Because I only How communicate via, via pheromones. Oh, <laughs> from your dick? Yeah, well, you'll get a different kind of follower though. Because communication is not just by speech, but almost everything you do, your body language, everything. Actually, there's, there's one interesting thing that you, you, you touched on earlier in your answer to Angie as well. Like how, regarding how you said that leadership is mainly cultural. I want to bring it back to Theranos a bit. Maybe you can share some insight as well. Sure. Would it be that right now in the, the culture in America, especially in Silicon Valley, where you have this preponderance of you know, people who have these liberal ideals, right? And they are trying, they're really trying to push this female leadership at all costs, essentially. Like, would it, do you think that this might be the reason that it gave rise to... Uh, I mean, I'm framing the question in a way that's like <laughs> very leading, la, so forgive yeah. me. Like, if you want, you can, you can just say, hey, John... I don't. I disagree with you, but you can just say like, yeah, John, definitely, fuck I off. disagree with you. Yeah, I, but then the okay, but <laughs> but what I find really interesting is that out of all female leaders, or out of all leaders, it's usually the female leaders that get the attention. So imagine Theranos is led by a man. Would that man get uh, the same kind of attention as Elizabeth? Most likely not, unless it's something really, really out of the blue, like you know Uber's ex CEO. But why is it that female leaders get so much of attention as compared to men, even though men, they do do the same things as well? I'm sure there are examples out there with startups equally as large of a fraud, but not get as much attention as Elizabeth. Isn't it just scarcity? Yeah, yeah. Because it's exception, right? It's different from the norm. Yeah, and the thing is, like, these sorts of scams are not uncommon, you know, especially in the startup world. There's a lot of fake it till you make it kind of culture in, in Silicon Valley and in startup culture uh, in general. And, you know, there's so many failed startups and there are so many startups that have swindled money, con money. But of course, you know, when something like this happens, I think one part of it is because Theranos promised a product that was very, you know, important to, to humanity like, in a way because you are improving like medical diagnostics in a way that could revolutionize healthcare, right? Um, and that was 
not just um, you know like another new uh, toy that you can play with and and stuff. It's really something that could help humanity forward, and I think that's one part of the reason why Theranos got so much attention as well, right? And the other thing I want to ask John as well: Are you sure that? She was kind of helped along just she was just because she was female, or was it because she had the charisma, she had the character, she had the hustle, and she could make people believe that she could deliver this product? Uh, are we? Yeah, you're you're right. Are we certain that she's not uh, like a puppet, like somebody is pulling the strings? That one, of course, I can't really be sure of. There are some allegations that the real person behind the whole thing was her boyfriend, or is her boyfriend, Sunny Bawani. But I love that name, by yeah, the way. I mean, I Can you I'm say gonna, that again? I'm going to say it every chance I get. Say Sunny Bawani. Sunny Bawani. Oh Sunny as the sun, Sunny? Sunny. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sunny Bawani. In Silicon Valley. <laughs> didn't, didn't she uh, push him out towards the end? I think it's just uh, falling out. Once once shit hits the fan, right? Yeah. And, the, and the cops are on your tail, then you just like, sort of, like, fuck off. Okay, yeah, thanks, bye. Just like betrayals everywhere. Of course, naturally, we wouldn't know for sure that who is so-called behind us. Like, I, I'm not I'm not deep into this. I, I'm, I haven't really spoken to anybody involved in it. I'm just basing off on what I read. Lah. Like, competent leaders can be found. It, almo- it almost doesn't matter, actually, the gender of the person or the sex of the person. But because she is this white, like, she's this prize uh, figure in Silicon Valley, especially in that particular region, right? That is what makes me really uncomfortable about this whole situation. She's just basically immune to criticism and no matter what we do or say, right, suddenly you can just bring up this thing where, oh, you know, why are you uh, giving her so much attention and so on and so forth? That's not my point. She's already been caught. How do, wait, like, just to clarify, what do you mean by shielding from criticisms? John Carew was conducting his investigation, right? She was also, she basically also tried to push it off as, you know, this guy is probably a misogynist. Okay, one of the things that's very fascinating about this case, right? One of the companies, I can't remember which one, I think it was Fox, if I'm not mistaken, wanted to invest some money into the company. And what they did was, they found, they got a, they got this analyst, right, to go into the company and take a look at how the company is run, whether there is actual thing, whether, you know, is it a scam, so on and so forth. So they got this analyst, that he went in, took a look at the whole thing, and his conclusion was, this shit is going to go south soon. Like, there's, no, there's no product, there's nothing. But the, the company that hired this analyst forgo his conclusion, like they just ignore his conclusion, and they put money into, into Theranos anyway. Okay. My, my inner Chinese man is laughing at idiocy, I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, it's, 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 really, it's really idiotic. Okay, this one, right, I don't know whether is it, um, okay, there's a good chance, right? It's not because she's female or whatever. It's just that the stardom, right? The, the cloud that she has gathered at that point allows her to so-called get away with this now. Like, people are afraid they'll miss the boat. And then they just they just don't want to... They just want to put money into it regardless of what the analyst said. Like, the I mean, analy- this this happens when things get too big to fail, right? Yeah, it's not right. just like a female thing. So, like, the fact that you're saying that, you know... Some part of it is maybe she was partially shielded when she yeah, cried, correct. like, oh, misogyny. But, like, I don't think she's entirely shielded as well. 
Yeah, and also, totally. and also, like I mean, of course, you've got those people who are like you know, oh, diversity, women for leadership positions, but there are equally or or more uh, like voices who are like you know, women can't lead, women can't drive, they suck, and this like that. So like, I mean, I don't think I'm that's to, kind of like I'm trying to filter out the noise from both sides of the spectrum. I don't care about the people who hate women, and I don't care about the people who elevate women, no matter what. I think those. Those two group of people, right, are just generally bad for the conversation. I'm more concerned with how do we sort out the middle? Mm-hmm. How do we deal with, okay, we need to establish some essential baseline for everything. Whether you're starting a company that's worthy of investment or not, we have to take a look at, okay, what, what are the products you're selling? What, what, is this, what, is this, what is your brand? So and so forth. And not just because you're a girl. You know what I'm saying? That is my concern. That's why I wanted to Bring up this topic. Can what I, are your I, thoughts, Ling? Can I? Oh, okay. Please, yeah, sorry. Please, please. please. I'll guess. I'll guess. I don't know the Silicon Valley environment or culture well enough, mm-hmm. but what you describe is basically how entrepreneurship work. It is, in a way, a risky business because what you are investing in is based on a proposal, an idea of people who want to do something, and it happens all the time. But for you to say that, oh, I give you leverage because you're a woman, I don't think that is quite prevalent either. But again, then again, I'm not too sure what the Silicon Valley culture is like. Now, earlier on, you mentioned something about the push for female leadership. There is a basis for that because a lot of the major companies in the States, right, their workforce population is half female and half male. And now the thing is, in leadership positions, the majority of them are male, which, you know, is a disadvantage in terms of competition for that particular company. Because if you think about it, you are serving an entire population, which is half male, half female, and everyone in between. But if your leadership board is not representative of the customers that you serve, how can you make decisions that are for the benefit of your customer? So the basis of that female quota at leadership level is more like, to me, it feels like a band-aid solution to a more deep, deep-rooted kind of uh, bias that's going on within the company itself. So yes, there are companies who say we must have like 30% of ladies in the leadership board. But because this unconscious bias has been going on for decades, the pipeline for females to make it into leadership position is not there. So that's why maybe that's why there's that push to say, okay, let's put a female in a leadership position without actually seeing you know, like whether that person is competent or has the experience, but it's just to show on paper and report that I have a, a female in the leadership position. So I maybe that can, I don't know if that will help answer your question on why, you know, like this Do push for female leader. I don't know, I'm not sure whether you are trying to defend their position or is it something that you personally agree with, that we do need more female in leadership positions as sort of like to maximize the... The comfort of our consumers. I don't. I'm not sure if I'm phrasing it correctly, but is that there's a lot of benefits for having female and le- females in leadership position, and it's not just to represent the perspectives of the consumer, but as you can hear, left, right, and center, a lot of people are not happy working in the in the workplace. You know, people don't like their jobs. People don't want to go to the office. But if you have a female perspective in the leadership position, perhaps certain policies can be emplaced in the organization to ha- help make work better for everyone. So if you have someone who is vocal leadership position, maybe they can 
you know, implement in, in the office babysitting facilities or more work-life balance. And this kind of perspective only comes in if the leaders themselves actually face this problem and want to, you know, make sure that the rest of the organization gets hurt, you know, from all these different perspectives and different needs. So it's not just female that needs to be in leader, but in leadership position, but the leadership position, it's best if it's diverse enough to represent not just the consumers, but also the workforce. And the other point about it is like you're talking as if like the CEO position is a position where people actually do fight to to get to as if like, you know, they battle based on their abilities, right? I, I mean, that's the case for so, a lot of companies, but it's not for all companies. And there have been like really terrible CEOs who are men who have ascended to the position. Uh, and this dude, uh, Ng Yat Chun, who was the ex who was the ex-CEO um, of the uh, Neptune Orient Lines, who spectacularly failed and then is now um, appointed as the new CEO of SPH, right? I mean, come on. He is not a fucking CEO candidate, okay? But he is still in the position. Why? Is it because he's a man? No, it's not. Okay, maybe it is because he's a man. I don't know. But, but not strictly because he's a man. Yeah, but like... Because he was an army man. Yeah, he was an army man, right? Like, so, I mean, so that's also... Diff- advantages that you are conferred because you are in a certain position and possibly because you're a certain gender right you can't just say that oh because you're a woman and and therefore you have more advantage because people are fucking pushing for you right i'm not saying you have more advantage my concern right is that once the pendulum swings the other way like hard the other way it's just okay hiring to find what what is your pendulum swing what what is one way and what is the other way let me explain so hiring because hiring for women just because you're a woman is just as bad as hiring for a guy just because you're a guy. Is this something that is disagreeable? No, don't disagree at all because you should hire people based on competence, your job role and all that. Right. So I, I like with the ex CEO of NOL, clearly the in, the, the incompetence that they that they had, right, had a cost. The cost was the eventual downfall of the company and they had to sell it off to someone else. Same thing here. I think I I just don't think there is this innate nature of a person, right, or this innate leadership that is just based on gender. Like you, you, I as a man can solve problems within an organization for women. I don't need to give birth to know the pain of rearing a child. You know what I'm saying? But you do need the ability to listen. And I think this is where things fall short. If you are not of the same kind of group, your ability to listen to the other person's problem, well, depending on where you come from, sometimes people just don't don't listen because you're not from that group. So wouldn't the problem then resurface the moment you correct it for one group or the other? So whether you hire for, whether you get a male in leadership position or female in leadership position, some group suffers, correct? You get more men in leadership position, the women suffer. You get more women in leadership position, maybe men suffer. I don't know. Or maybe some other group of women suffer. So there's always this correction mechanism, no matter how you do it, right? If you are basing it on just, hey, let's listen to one particular group of problem, and then we c- you, you can't solve everything, right? You, there's no way. So yeah, I- and the alternative is status quo, right? If you don't try, then... Then what? We, we suffer? One group continues to suffer and not be listened to? Of course, you have to try and see what works, right? I mean, right now, I don't know, like, do you have the statistics of what are the numbers of men versus women in the leadership position right now? 
like uh, maybe say in Singapore or if you're talking about Fortune 500 companies then the article here says 24 female CEOs lead companies as opposed to the rest are being men yeah well so I mean if you're talking about like people suffering clearly if if we subscribe to the idea that uh, if like say men are in charge women suffer and if women are in charge men suffer if you subscribe to this notion in, in whatever way that you want to ascribe to this then if there is such a clear imbalance of uh, gender, don't you think that there is more suffering on one side? And once you rectify that, then we can all suffer equally, kind of? So <laughs> I want to put forward a, a situation, a hypothetical. Actually, it's not hypothetical. It is happening. So there are certain industries where female leadership is near like absolute. I'll give you one example. Okay, the shopping mall industry. And this is in within Singapore itself. As far as I, as far as I know, within shopping malls, most of the center managers are female. There's very few exceptions. Do we need to start removing female center managers and replace them with male center managers? I don't understand. Why would you want to do that? Is the female center manager causing problem? Are they losing business? Well, they are Is the it majority, creating a? They are the majority, right? So they are more than they are certainly more than fifty percent. I can guarantee they are probably more than seventy, eighty percent mm-hmm. of the leadership within the industry. Right. Yeah. So do we need parity in that industry based on the based on fighting the status quo? I mean, the status quo right now is that there's a lot of female leadership in that industry, right? Do we need to start removing some of them and replace them with male so that we can have, hey, we can address some of the male problems, some of the real male worker problems or have a male shopper perspective? Is there a male worker problem at the shopping center? I have no idea. <laughs> I want to chime in with regards to what John has said. Maybe this information is the reason why we have so much, so many sales and so many, you know, like so many malls go on sale at all at the same time. And then the strategy for attracting shoppers seems to be, hey, we have a we have a great sale. All all our retailers are having sales. You know, come come over here and uh, and shop with us. And when I was um work, doing some work for uh, Robinsons and uh, the Alpha Time Group, they uh, basically one of the managers told me that the the manager for uh, John Little and Robinsons are all female, and all they can think of is sale, sale, sale. <laughs> Perhaps. Not gender related, but if we can bring in new ideas, probably Orchard Road will be so shitty. But by the way, I actually don't actually quite actually agree with what you say. It's more of like, you know, having that diversity within the organization to be able to provide different perspective on how you can run things a lot better. And diversity doesn't just mean gender. It could also mean, you know, like disabilities of the physical and mental kind. It could be genders in between as well, not binary, female, male. So diversity in itself, you know, could help any kind of organization. By the way, I don't agree that we should remove the female leadership within shopping malls. Clearly, there's a very good reason why la. most shoppers are females. <laughs> My point is that we need to tailor the situation to the to the context, right? To the to that particular scenario. Once again, right, I also don't think that necess- by default having a male C or male leader within the within a shopping mall would instantly generate new ideas i don't think that's the case at all you can have new ideas from female leaders as well oh wow really <laughs> whoa except from you Angie. Uh. so mind blown right now yeah so my my point is that this push for diversity for the sake of diversity right it's just as bad as let's not have diversity for the sake of let's not have diversity 
Of course, each organization, each company would have their own context, have their own challenges. Uh, each industry would have, you know, whatever available talent pool is. But to not acknowledge it, I think, is a, you know, a disservice to your own customer group. So you have to acknowledge it in, in some way. And maybe you won't get perfect 50% male, 50% female, but at least been spoken about. And how is it that you're going to tailor that to your organization? We're actually not disagreeing on a lot. The only thing that what I will say is that I prefer the status quo. I think that most industry has already arranged themselves in a certain way to maximize their own capabilities from within. Okay, so you are from a position of uh, status quo, right? But if a company choose to be in status quo, very soon they'll find themselves out of business. Because to stay ahead or alive in this fast-paced and globalized world, you always, you have to innovate. You have to find different perspectives. You have to trial and prototype whatever products and services that the organization serves. Because if you don't do that, very soon your competitors will offer extra features in their app or offer a nicer interface. And quite easily, your customer base will move over to your competitor. So status quo is it's not competitive at all for any organization. Can I, can I just dive in right now? I haven't spoken. I want to speak. Speak, speak. <laughs> no, then. Take the corner. You have to get to your mic faster then. So I, I, I feel like a, a good analogy that is going through my... I, I think it's a good analogy at least. That's going through my head right now is the use of uh, cards. Like you guys play card games, trading card games. Like fucking Hearthstone or whatever damn card game or magic that you play. Right? So, I do, yeah. Uh, okay, okay. So this is an analogy you can probably understand, right? So to me, right, when you guys are talking about diversity, to me, it's just another card to play on the table. In terms of whether company, as a company, regardless of whether you are a mainstream industry or whether you are one of these status quo companies you're talking about, you can choose to play it or not, right? Diversity of men, diversity of, uh, with gender, sorry, diversity of age group, diversity of people with disabilities. You play it or you don't. And every time you play it, it's a risk, like all, all the, the card games that you do. Right, that that you play, right? Uh, high risk, high reward. If you decide to, okay, we're going to implement this thirty percent women in the the board of directors rule, right? It is it is a risk, and and it might it is a high risk, high reward kind of strategy because you're hoping that these new people, uh, this diversity card will attract these people that can solve your current problems, right? So okay, that that aside, right, John? Okay, let's get back to the heart of the issue. Okay, when Miss Holmes was confronted by reporters, by analysts. Okay, what she did, okay, back to the analogy of the cards, she played the gender card. Okay, as, as we are all entitled to, depending on the circumstance. So are you unhappy that she played the gender card or are you unhappy that she played the gender card at that moment? What are you unhappy? Because, you know, you know what I mean? She did play the card, right? You are a misogynist. You are looking down at me because I'm a woman. She played the card. Okay. Morals oh, no. aside. Sexually harassing me. Yeah, 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 yeah. She played the card. No, I, I, I don't begrudge her for playing that card. I think in life, right, you do whatever it takes for you to get ahead. Like, she can play whatever card that she wants. That's not the point. If she played the card and she actually got the product that works, that can really save millions around the world because of better blood tests, yeah, by all means, go ahead. That's fantastic. Kudos, right? You do whatever it takes to get ahead. Of course, that didn't happen. And I think that's why we are talking about it now. If, if, there's, if there's one light at the end of this tunnel, uh, which is that, you know, we can't just just look at something and think, hey, you know, he's a woman, let's put money into him, he's a guy, let's not put money into him. I, don't, I think all that will be 
you know, they'll, they'll wise up, the market will wise up now and just think, okay, let's, let's look at the product, let's look at the person, let's look at the CEO. Do they have the stuff? Yes, they do. Let's put money into it. I just find it very, very amazing that she, that, you know, she managed to swindle so many people. And I read some articles yeah, where... so many men as well. Oh, I shit. found it so inspiring. Really? I mean, like, the fact that you could do that shit and be, like, cool as fuck and be like, yeah, you know, I'm she, just taking your money, like all this epic amount of money, and just be like, yep. Yeah, she's like this 20-something-year-old swindling millions out I of love this, like, it. geriatric old fucks, right? There have been, billions. Yeah. Oh, in, in, in the, that's been playing in the industry for so many goddamn years. I mean, they make, they, she make them look like fools. Right? If they, like, if there's one good thing that came out of it, I think it's just like, Fuck this, Captain, this motherfucker. <laughs> I think I would like to know who her uh, PR officer is, you know, because yeah. I think a lot of it is playing on America's culture or uh, obsession with superheroes yep. and celebrity. So if you have a celebrity oh. entrepreneur, if you have a celebrity something, something, the, there's just, they're put on a pedestal for some reason or another. I think they like epic stories as well. Like, I mean, the fact that, you know, you've got one person promising this cure all to the world. And then like, of course, she's young, she's beautiful. She's very smart and like, you know, talented in the way that she's so charismatic. Right. And I think it's great, you know? Like I th- There was one thing that uh, John Carrio managed to touch on as well, is that Elizabeth Holmes, right, dresses like Steve Jobs. Yeah, like, she yeah. dresses like him and acts and have and copies his mannerism as well. So, and uh, apparently it works. Like, she just wears the same fucking turtleneck for like seven days in a row, you know, and uh, speaks in the same way. And okay. I think her PR team must be quite talented because I know of a lot of humanitarian startups that are not based in the States and they're doing really good work, but you don't see their CEO or their founders or their inventors put on a pedestal as Elizabeth Holmes. So I, I think it's because she is in this American culture that worships celebrity hood or something that she in a rise way, up to. In a way, to yes. That's she is, yeah. Yeah, but I think like when you're working in kind of like humanitarian sort of organizations or um, non non-profit. non-profit organizations, there's also like that aversion to having the hero i think because they usually focus on the narrative of what they're trying to do instead of a a, one single person who can save the world it's more like you guys have to make the effort and we'll have to do this together to save the world kind of thing rather than i will save the world with this thing right actually Um, that's also a very interesting uh digression into other forms of leadership right you you have this thought you have this sort of leaders where we are just going to focus on our brand, on the stuff that we do. So even those like MPOs or whatever, you know, the maybe the guy or the lady is a very level-headed person, you know, feet on the ground, wants to do good work, but never get the resources and funding that they require because they are not willing to put themselves front and center the way Elizabeth Holmes did. Isn't it really bizarre? Uh, in a way, yes and no, because it depends on what you're trying to tell with your brand story. Like, I was kind of, I got kind of into, like, this thing called effective altruism. So I was, like, going to the meetings and, you know, we had, like, brainstorming sessions. So what effective altruism is, is basically altruism that is effective. So if you want to give your money, like, donate money somewhere, um, make sure that, you know, every dollar you get your bang for your buck, you know. So, like, if you donate to somewhere in Africa, your one dollar goes further than if you donate somewhere in, like, say, Singapore, right? Just because of the difference in, um, cost of living, et cetera, et cetera. So like, um, we were coming up with ways to kind of expand EA in Singapore. And I was thinking like, you know, 
Cause, uh, cause we are all design people. I'm a des- uh, like, you know, I'm very steeped into the whole like, um, design advertising kind of world. And I was like, Hey, why do we do this campaign? You know, da, da, da. maybe you can get in people and do PR. And they're like, we're not quite sure if you want to do that because, you know, it kind of goes against what we do because we would have to expend money on like advertising. And we'll, I mean, there were like various other factors, but then it could just be that it does not fit into like what they are looking for and what they plan to do with. Yeah, you either sell your soul to the devil and get the resources that you require or you stay safe, uh, stick to your brand, stick to your product and you may or may not get the stuff that you have, you need to effectively conduct your yourself or your organization. One thing that Ling Ling said that uh, really jumped out to me was this whole uh, hero personality that you talked about that in American culture, people are... Uh, are very fond of and there is a lot of influence and power with such a role and um Xiang Fanda, like vice versa I think that Singapore uh, is lacking that we are all the way on the other end of the spectrum we've got no heroes are you we've sure no, you what about Lee Kuan Yew hero? <gasps> yeah, then, but, why do you think Good Citizen draws so many caricatures of Lee Kuan Yew you know why because he's one of the few icons that we have I don't have anybody to caricature I'm running out of business man I'm running out of people to caricature because we only got a few he- Heroes now we better him. hope that Go Chok Tong and Lee Sin Long don't die then. I have a suggestion for you. Yes. You should you should caricature his uh, daughter-in-law. Who who, who again? <laughs> okay, why his daughter-in-law? <laughs> which one? <laughs> which which one? Ho Ching. Yeah. Ah. Yeah, but but you know what I mean. Like we do, we just don't have enough heroes. We don't have enough stories. We don't have enough epic stories to to inspire the next generation. I disagree with that. Disagree. Tell me why. <laughs> I believe that Singapore has its own heroes, has its own epic stories, but I, I think what is stopping from these heroes and epic stories to get its voice out there is that no one is repeating their stories, no one is sharing it. And part of it is because, you know, we're from uh, an, an Asian culture that believes like the group is better than, you know, the individual. So. We're very Confucius in that, in that manner. In, in that manner. So you do have your heroes, you do have your stories. Uh, and if you have a hand in it, why not promote someone to be that hero and share their story? I, I mean, I, I, I agree. I agree. I'm sure there are people out there who are worthy of our attention. It's just that their stories are not told. But there is this general culture, I feel, of we are not actively cultivating that hero story in Singapore. Like, I mean, go back, going back to our previous podcast. Previous podcast, Ben Davies. So in Ben Davies' podcast, <laughs> where we talked about... Um, you know, how, how the government is very willing to not let him pursue his career, but he could easily be one of those hero figures that we are talking about. But they, 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 again, they, they don't see the need to create a hero. This is an offhand example. Do you think that we are thirsty for a hero in Singapore? I'm because thirsty after- for a hero. Okay, great. Because after the whole Joseph schooling thing where, you know, like, I I have never seen Singaporeans so excited about sports before. I mean, okay, you've got, like, you know, football and whatnot and people who support the EPL. But, like, it's on a whole other level, you know. The level of love and outpouring of support when he, Joseph schooling came back to Singapore. I was like, really? What? Yes, you see, you see, we are thirsty for heroes. You are right. I have a question for you. Sure. What's okay. up? So, 
uh, going back to Miss Holmes, right? Miss Elizabeth Holmes. Mm-hmm. Her her archetype, as you have very correctly said, is that of a hero. So a leadership figure in America tends to be a hero, but a leadership leadership female figure in Singapore tends to be a matriarch, the matriarch archetype. So is there any truth to that? And what, what do you have to say to that? Can you describe to me what it means as a matriarch archetype? I'll crush you like a cockroach! <laughs> so basically a very powerful, influential woman, mm-hmm. right? Uh, who is not... Kind. Not young, right? I She's guess. stern. She's competent. Extremely competent, right? Uh, and, and she's surrounded by feckless, effeminate, ineffectual men. Who, who are, no, I, I don't know. <laughs> I'm, I'm just saying the archetype is archetype, right? So I have to, I have to say the archetype until Ray She's like Tsuxi right? Huangho, is it? Like the Dowager Tsuxi. Yeah, like a Dowager, uh, like, okay, excellent example, like a Tsuxi Huangho, you know, like a Dowager, uh, that, that Dowager Empress. Empress. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, well, I mean, can, can is, is there a way ex- for. Can you give some examples? Because the female leaders I know oh, in Ching. Singapore are not, like, not like that at all. But that's the public perception. Of course, maybe if you know her in real life, maybe she's a lovely woman. But <laughs> but in Singapore, I feel it very strongly that if you want to have power as a woman in the workplace, the archetype you will gravitate towards is the matriarch. And I already see this happening in all the 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 my friends, or you know, I have mentor figures who are like a generation above me. Okay, Jerry just pulled up this lady called Chua Sok Kung. Can you tell us more about Chua Sok Kung? She's the CEO of Singtel. And yeah, she's... I don't know, I don't know. I, 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 I'm a very important person to her because I'm a shareholder. <laughs> yeah, then you're... <laughs> I, I own 0.0000012% of a company, okay? Oh, congratulations. I, I think what Dan is talking about... I feel, I feel... I sort of agree with what Dan is talking about, but only to the extent of the previous generation or like someone who's much older not certainly not the the millennial uh, leaders lah. like if i look at my mom for instance she's a sort of a matriarch when you talk about matriarchs in power right in singapore especially you'd have to think about the historical context and cultural context as well right because these women would be in their 50s to 60s uh, and for them to get into a position of power back in their day they would have to be at least very strong and forceful personalities because women in general don't work very much i mean yes maybe they work as labor or whatever but they don't get to high positions and if you had to get into a high position in that in those days um, either you marry into it (coughs) or like you, you have to have some sort of like dominating presence about you um, that would get you places and would make men respect you enough that they would promote you, right? Um, which is very different from today, right? Because, I mean, it's I would say that, you know, it's much easier for women to get into power, like, or into positions of power, but they didn't have to be, like, two times of themselves or, like, project more force and assertion than they would have... They, they normally feel like they are, you know. By the way, we've name dropped so many times, right? I don't know who your cough is directed at. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, sorry, Ling Ling. Please go on. Okay. Um, No, I was just saying I agree I choked on a Hello Panda. Hello Panda. (laughs) (laughs) Uh I just agree with what you're saying, Angie's, because female leaders, they become the way they are, and any leaders become the way they are. It's because of the environment 
Mm. For for them to to survive, for them to influence people, for them to get stuff done, they have to be adaptable to whoever they're they're speaking to. So the the matriarch archetype, they are the way because of the people that they're surrounded with. If they don't uh, lead in that particular manner, nothing might get done at all. Yeah, so I watched the Forbidden City, the musical, and it's talking about how um, the Empress Dowager, right? She was kind of forced into this position. And she kind of wanted it as well, but it was a mix of circumstances, right? And the way that they portrayed her in this musical was that she had to make decisions that she was uncomfortable with and she had to be this person, this strong, like outwardly strong person that other people could look up to, even though on the inside she was like this terrified little concubine who didn't know what she was doing. And, you know, I think a lot of times that's kind of what you have to do as well if you're in a... Not limited to women... Yeah, exactly. Which is which is what, like I said, like it is something that you have to do when you're in a position of power. Like you have to kind of fake it till you make it, right? Like even if you're not entirely convinced that this idea will work, but if you have got like ten people behind you saying that, okay, what do we do now? You're like, let's do this, and then you have to say it with conviction so that they would do it for you or so help you. To- do you think uh, Elizabeth Holmes took on the archetype of the enchantress, for instance? In her journey to her $9 billion. Is it said anywhere, John? Like, uh, uh, this, this idea of her, like, um, you know, like charming people with her looks or her, her demeanor or, or. I'll be honest, uh, I don't know whether is it these guys, they are finding an excuse or is that the case? They don't want to look stupid, right? Yeah, they don't want to look dumb. <laughs> oh, I was like mesmerized by her charisma. Yeah, That's well, why I gave her $10, $10 million. It's not because I was stupid, I was mesmerized. I mean, she could have the personality of the Angku that's in front of me now. <laughs> I, would, I wouldn't know. But over and over again, right? It seems like through the many witness accounts of how the thing proceeded, the, the retelling of the story, la, that's how it is. Of course, the actual story is always a bit hyper-dramatized. La. Like, if you look at the Empress Dowager story that NG was just mentioning, by the time it reaches our side of the century, I mean, things could have been exaggerated 10 times over, we also won't know. But like- there's, some mo- there's always some modicum of truth within all these kind of myth stories and you know, so on and so forth. La. So, is it true? I don't know. I want it to be true. I want it to be true so bad. <laughs> You want her to be an enchantress. Yeah, I definitely want her to be an enchantress. I want the story to... Otherwise, this is a bullshit episode of the podcast, right? There's like nothing... You know, when I read this story, right? I was so glad. You know why? Because women are also very underrepresented in like crime. And like, you know, serial killing, um, con jobs and stuff like that. So for her to get away with such shit on such a massive scale, I was like, you go girl. This is awesome. Do we need more uh, crime bosses, Ling Ling? Female yeah, crime yeah, bosses? Yeah. Are you going to watch <laughs> the show totally. Ocean's, 8, Ocean's 8, right? Are you going to watch it? Oh, I haven't seen Ocean's 8 yet, but I'm, I'm looking forward to watching it. When I get the time, though. <laughs> Alright. Do we have a magical moment from Dan? Shit, man. Actually, I, I don't know. NG, do you have a magical moment you can come up with for all of us? Oh, fuck this. What is, a, what is a magical uh, this moment? It's a time-honored tradition <laughs> where we have a little hypothetical and then you do your best to pretend you're somebody like role-play. And then uh, you act out, right? Typically, we have like extreme, situ- extreme situations or extreme hypotheticals that forces you to make really, really difficult choices. Alright, let me, let me throw something to you guys. Excellent. Right now, 
I'm going to promote all of you all to be the top general of country X army. Alright, you all are leaders of large group of armed men and women. Alright, the, the particular PM or president of the country, right, is, has gone slightly insane. <laughs> and uh, he wants you to prove your loyalty. In order to stay in your position of power, you have to kill your firstborn child. And if you don't kill your firstborn child, he will kill you. Do you guys kill your child? That's, that's quite a good hypothetical. <laughs> okay. Uh, does this have any... Okay, before we begin this hypothetical, are there any gender-related issues here? No, right? Not at all. Okay, okay. Just your thirst for power or your thirst... Oh, well. Or your disregard for your child. <laughs> at, at, at what age do I have to kill my child? Right oh. now. Whatever your child's age is right now. Okay, so if my child is an aborted fetus, cannot. You have a living child. It's already out of the vagina. Oh, okay, it's really, yeah. it's really. Okay. It's walking and he call you papa like at least, at least four times papa. by now. At least four times. Papa. You really know the personality, probably can walk. And, and, and this is a Faust dilemma question. You can't like raise an arm <laughs> uprising because you are the leader of an army. You cannot raise this. It's two choices. You can do a military Either coup. Either you die or your kid dies. You're in the office. The kid is in front of you. There's like three guys loyal to the president with Jesus. guns at you right now. And you have one... You have one gun and the president is behind the bulletproof glass. You have one glock which won't penetrate the glass, alright? Okay. So I'm assuming this is not a democratic country, right? You cannot <laughs> elect no person out of power. Nope. <laughs> Words will not help you now, Ling Ling. Okay, can, is, is there any way that the, the, the president will guarantee the safety of my child? No, you either kill... Yeah, but what if like yeah, he yeah. kills so, you, yeah, then yeah. what happens to your yeah, kid? Yeah, yeah. Then okay. you just kill the kid afterwards. Then to, make, no point to, to make this interesting... The president will personally guarantee the safety of your child. How good is his word? If he's willing to kill you, how sure are you that his word is good that he won't kill your child? 100%. Until what age? You say he's mad already. Yeah, I know, but your child has nothing to do with it. He just wants you to so prove your loyalty. So that means it's not he, 100% no, he wants, he wants to <laughs> likelihood that he'll take care of the child if he's mad. John, he he's not going to take care of the child. He's just going to make sure he's safe. I, I, I'm going to be very serious here, okay? If you're going to allude this to Christianity at any point, I will be quite cross with you. Actually, it's not. Actually, okay, I got not. this out of... Uh, I'm going to insert spoilers here for the show <laughs> called Final Space. Okay? So, it's actually happened in that te- uh, television show. I also highly recommend that all of y'all watch Final Space. But back to the thing. I'll answer first. Yep. I'll kill my child. Sweet. Thank you, General Jerry. <laughs> I'll kill my child. Yeah. Uh, I think I would sacrifice myself for my child. Aww. He's my boy boy. <laughs> <laughs> I cannot be a general, as you can see. I will kill my child as well. Jesus, tap dancing Christ, Angie. Why? Okay. I can't do that because I'm a woman? I, what? <laughs> Just then, before, you didn't, you no, didn't judge why? Jerry at no, all. No, no, why, you, why? You took gender out of this. You know, then yeah, you we took gender out of this. No. You are playing the card for no apparent reason. John, you saw her, right? She's playing the card, right? And it's, it's uncalled for, right? Is, why you're Is it? But why didn't you react to Jerry? Jerry? To Jerry saying that he would kill his child. Because I expected it of him. Oh. <laughs> no, I'm joking. La. But what if I don't have a child? Because no, no, I, I opt not to. It's not nah, you, you no choice. Like, I don't have a child. This is a magical, this is a magical moment. moment. You can't say you have no child. <laughs> magical <laughs> moment. The magical moments, right? Are, especially with mine, there are no cop-outs. Alright? <laughs> there are no... You know, I'm gonna. I don't have a child. I'm not actually the. I'm not actually the general of a. Oh, no, it is what it is right now. 
the choices are before you. Usually we have two choices. Just two, right? You can't have a third option. Like, yes or Why no? Why not? <laughs> because you're in John's magical moments. <laughs> <laughs> when you have Ling Ling's magical moments, you can have five options. <laughs> Sometimes then we'll have more. Then lets you choose what you want to do. Yeah, sometimes we have to justify it. But right now, yeah. right, the president, his eyes are gaping at you. He's, you see the right. vein? Some people have a vein on their forehead, right? His vein is popping out. He's livid. He's like, General Ling Ling, tell me! Make a choice! And then, you know, the room <laughs> is very, very tense. And then your, your boy, your little boy boy is there looking at you, you know. Or maybe and girl. He's, he's carrying, or your girl, girl, whatever. He, and she, he or she is carrying the little toy that you gave her for the birthday, you know. You know, and then there's a gun to her head, and then there's a gun to your head, and it's super tense. What are you gonna do? What are you gonna do? I'm gonna be alive, right? No. Oh. Only if I choose. Yeah, right? you have to choose. Yeah. You have to choose. Okay. So you so kill your one, child. One or the other dies. The other one that's alive will be safe, right? Yes. Yep. Yep. Yes. Yeah, I'll kill the child. Okay. Oh my god! All right, I'll sacrifice Bang! myself for the Bang! child. Say that again. I will sacrifice my child. Uh, sorry, I'll sacrifice myself for the child. <laughs> okay, I want you guys to imagine, right? Your child dead on the floor. His brain brains are splattered all over the floor. Then the little soft toy that you bought is like on fire because of the heat of the muzzle flash. What the fuck? No, no, I want you guys to know. The severity of your actions. Hey, your your toy is not fire resistant. Very terrible. (laughs) Bad parenting. Made of asbestos. Yeah, bad parenting. No, but imagine this. Yes. If you are the one who sacrificed yourself, and your child is the one who remembers you, that's burnt on the ground with gunshots. Yes. Yes. That your child will live the rest of their life traumatized. Yeah, but they are alive. Yeah, but they are alive. They are alive. Yeah, they have poor quality of life and being just as mad as the. But John. John, you said it was the firstborn one, meaning you have other kids, so that one's expendable, I guess. Actually, John, John, I wanna, I wanna make a, uh, I wanna, I wanna con- confirm some, some facts. Like you're saying, the child is of any age, right? It's not like a six-year-old or five-year-old. Five, six-year-old. Okay, if that's the case, then I'll kill the child. If, if, okay, this is a, this is a either-or situation. But if my child, right, is a fully grown firstborn mom, you know what? I'm a general of the country. I might be sixty years old. If my firstborn is like 21, 22, or also in the army, I would sacrifice myself. You're, you're right as you are right now. You are Jerry Teo, uh, 320 years old. <laughs> no, you have a five-year-old kid. Okay. okay if if I <laughs> have a five-year-old kid, then I'll sacrifice a child. Yes. All right. So, Before we go, right, one last imagine, okay? Just one last imagine, okay? Right now, right, the bullet that hit your child's head, right? Like, the guy who put the trigger, he totally fucked up, and he's like a bobo shooter, and, and then instead of killing your child outright, right, the bullet kind of grazed into his head, and he's still kind of alive, and he's like lying on the ground twitching, and then one eye is looking at you, one eye is looking at the ceiling, and then blood is spurting out of his, his nostrils and his ears, and then he's like twitching and pointing at you, trying to say something, but you can't really make out what he's trying to say. He's going like... I would take a gun and then put it into his mouth and pull it. <laughs> Holy shit, Angie. You're scaring me. Am I? Ling Ling, do you have any final words for us? Final wisdom? Nuggets mm-hmm. of wisdom? Don't the the guest always guess, gets the last word in our podcast. <laughs> I haven't prepared any final nuggets of wisdom. Eat more chicken nuggets. Hey, that's the snack box which I bought yesterday at like 1am. It's fantastic. Oh my god. Amazing. Ling before we end today's podcast, would you like to like plug yourself? I mean, sorry, I mean, pimp, plug, plug your your Jesus temple. <laughs> <laughs> plug would myself like to, into what? Would you like to uh, pimp final your... nugget of wisdom? I'm yes. vegetarian, so eat more vegetables, eat more fruit. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Stay away from meat because eating meat is bad for the environment, and there's climate change. 
Okay, okay. If you're, you're all going to die if you continue to eat meat. Dinner today, we'll go for a vegetarian dinner. Awesome. Just, just, just for you. Do you have like your website, your, your yeah, like, where plug, can, plug. Where can we find you? Yeah, plug you? your... That's what I meant. I'm sorry. Oh. <laughs> I don't know what's the right word. Usually people say plug yourself. Yeah, yeah. Plug I don't yourself. know what they say. Yeah. It's also vulgar. <laughs> want to pimp myself yes please yes. pimp your website your okay. what, what do you so i'm also a podcast host that's why uh, i've met john at one of our local podcast meetups so my podcast is called leaders of learning you can check it out just google leaders of learning i have my podcast has also recently been on the top of the charts for itunes yay, yay. yay. congratulations we just got into itunes like fucking yesterday you know and then you're like ready sorry <laughs> You can only start today, right? Or yesterday. You can only start now. Uh, and the other piece is I am a uh, culture and learning consultant. You can check out my website at www.sparkls.co. That's sparkls.co. That's short for Spark Learning Solution. We'll be putting her links down in the description box below. So please go check it out. Fantastic. Thank you very much, Ling Ling, for joining us on this podcast. Thank you. Thanks, everyone. I really enjoyed myself. <laughs> That's the end of the show. Oh, it finally came out then. Yes, it finally came out. Bye. Bye. Bye.